What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. A stunning percentage of Americans would be thrown off course financially with an emergency like a car repair. And it shouldn't be that way. People should not be living so close to the edge. Welcome to the Best New Ideas in Money, a podcast from MarketWatch. I'm Stephanie Kelton. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University. And I'm Charles Passy, a reporter at MarketWatch. Each week, we explore innovations in economics, finance, technology, and policy that rethink the way we live, work, spend, save, and invest. For many Americans, 2023 is off to kind of a rough start. More than a third of Americans say they are in worse financial position than last year. Some economists say we're now in what they're calling a rolling recession. Overall, food prices rose about 12% in the last year. While markets surged in January, it's still an uncertain time for a lot of people. A recent survey from the Harris Poll found that 87% of Americans are worried about the economy and inflation, while 82% are concerned about a potential U.S. recession, and 71% of Americans say inflation is eating into their monthly budget. All of that can be kind of anxiety-inducing, but we had an idea about how to help. This week, we're taking a look at the big financial news you've been reading about. Things like record high inflation, a potential recession, and big layoffs across many industries. We're going to unpack how those headlines might become part of your own money story. And we're going to the best place we know for that, to our colleagues at MarketWatch. My name is Leslie Albrecht. I'm the Deputy Personal Finance Editor at MarketWatch. My name is Angela Moore. I'm the Retirement Editor at MarketWatch. I've worked on many teams here at MarketWatch, and I'm a complete retirement nerd. Leslie and Angela are going to walk us through some of the biggest stories of the moment, starting with layoffs. Here's Leslie. The job market has been through a bit of a roller coaster over the past couple of years, and we've seen so many different names for various trends pop up. At first, we saw the Great Resignation. Well over 20 million people quit their jobs in the second half of 2021. Some are calling it the big quit, others the great resignation. That was followed by quiet quitting. The concept of quiet quitting is making some very loud noise on TikTok. Now we're seeing something called loud layoffs. Stephanie, that last one, loud layoffs, that's a newer phenomenon that fewer people may have heard about. That's right. And although we've talked about both the great resignation and quiet quitting before on the show, here's a quick refresher. The great resignation began in early 2021 and saw many employees voluntarily quit their jobs during the COVID pandemic. A study from Microsoft found that 40% of the global workforce was considering leaving their employer that year and it kept going. Last March, a record 4.5 million people quit their jobs. That's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
The next evolution in the workplace that made waves was quiet quitting. Basically, that's just doing the bare minimum of your job. No working overtime, no taking on extra projects. It's a controversial practice and one that's likely influenced by where you are in your career and other factors like class, race, and the type of job you have. It goes without saying, not everyone can afford to quiet quit. Which brings us to the latest development. This year, many large companies have laid off thousands of workers. For example, over 107,000 tech employees have lost their jobs since the start of the year. And now a new term is entering the lexicon, loud layoffs. There's a couple of different interpretations of that. Some people actually consider loud layoffs to be the layoffs that are happening at tech companies, meaning that they are laying off thousands of workers right now. And in a lot of cases, these are workers that were hired during the pandemic when demand for services was high, but now they're seeing a pullback in that demand and these companies need to shed those workers to make their costs. Another thing people are talking about when they're talking about loud layoffs is this idea that when people are laid off now, they sometimes go onto social media and they post about their layoff, either like in a Twitter thread or on LinkedIn or with a TikTok video. Oh, hi there, I'm Suki. And I got laid off this Tuesday with a third of the company. The days of having a buyout letter appear at your desk and you like quietly leaving your job are over. People are like much more public about it than they used to be. While the videos represent a new trend and perhaps one you might want to approach with caution, reaching out to your network when you've been laid off is an old idea and a good one. Here's Leslie again. For a lot of workers, especially younger workers, this is the first round of layoffs that they're seeing in their careers, and it can be extremely unsettling, obviously, to lose your job. And so I think what, you know, people we've talked to for stories about how to handle layoffs, one of the things they say is take a breath and realize that you're going to be okay. You do have skills that can be transferred to another job, and you're probably going to land on your feet. It just might take some time. And you might have to reconsider some of your priorities. That can include being open to working in a new sector. If you get laid off from tech, you probably have skills that are useful in other parts of the job market. For example, we talked to an economist at ZipRecruiter who talked about how a lot of people who are proficient in software and other tech skills can use those in tons of other areas like healthcare and government and education. So there are other areas that you can look at if you're willing to expand your search beyond your current industry. A layoff can also offer the chance to rethink your priorities. The other thing that people have really been thinking about is salary and how much do you want to make versus how much flexibility do you want to have in your job? And we've seen survey data that suggests this, that salary is not the most important thing to them anymore. It's really work-life balance that they're looking for. And so when people are looking for new jobs, I think for some people it's worth considering possibly taking a lower salary if it's going to mean more work-life balance for you. And that can mean a flexible schedule or more ability to spend time with your family, more ability to pursue activities outside of work. All of those things add up to that's time in your life, which is obviously priceless and, you know, can be worth more to people than making an extra $10,000 a year. If you're worried about layoffs and want to prepare yourself just in case, the place to start is to get familiar with your finances. Familiar advice applies here like taking a look at your spending, 
cutting back on things like eating out and subscription services, and having an emergency fund. Personal financial advisors will tell you that you need to have an emergency fund set up of at least some people say three months, other people say six months of expenses. So if you don't have that set up, now would be a good time to get that started. That can give you a sense of security. The idea that you're building up some savings so that if disaster strikes and you lose your job, then at least you have a little bit of a cushion to fall back on. Outside of an emergency fund, you might also be tempted to look towards another type of savings when money gets tight, your retirement account. Here's MarketWatch's retirement editor, Angela Moore. So a lot of us are feeling the pain of inflation right now. I know I go to the grocery store. It's so cliche, but I'm a real price watcher. I cannot believe how much stuff costs. It's crazy. And we had some research that came across our desks recently from Alliance Life Insurance. And they said that two in three Americans said they're more concerned about paying bills right now than saving for the future. Frankly, it's perfectly understandable, you know. I'm sure it's some sort of a evolutionary quirk that we are focused on the now, on protecting ourselves now and looking into the future. It's hard. We don't know what the future is going to bring. And right now we can't pay our bills. Retirement is a topic that can feel far off, something to worry about for another day. According to a survey from Bankrate, last November, over a third of Americans said they were significantly behind on saving for retirement. Angela says halting contributions to a retirement account should really be a last resort or a very short-term solution. By not contributing that money now, one, you know, when do you start contributing again? When do you say, okay, I'm going to stop now. And then when things get better, I'll start contributing again. It's hard to know when that point will be. When will I feel better? When will I feel comfortable? That's a psychological part of it. And also you miss out on a lot of growth, future growth of your money. So if I was putting $100 a week away and I stopped doing that, I don't do that for a year. That's $5,200 that I'm not putting in that year. And that grows and grows and grows and grows over decades. And you miss out on all of that growth. You know, it's like if you're a person who exercises every day and you're getting all these benefits of exercising every day, and then you stop because you're too busy or whatever reason people stop exercising, you have an injury, you sort of lose those compound benefits of all that exercise, right? And then your health declines. It's kind of like that. Your portfolio will decline and your financial health will decline if you don't keep contributing to it. Recently, an even more troubling trend has emerged. More Americans have been turning to their 401ks as a result of financial hardship. Last month, Vanguard Group reported that of the 5 million people in one of their 401k plans, 2.8% withdrew from their retirement accounts for economic hardships. That's up from about 2% pre-pandemic. It's gotten easier to do that in recent years. In 2018, Congress got rid of a rule that had people take a 401k loan before requesting a hardship withdrawal. With a loan, you borrow money from your retirement account, paying it back with interest over time. On the other hand, when you withdraw money, you don't have to put any back, though you'll likely have to pay taxes and penalties. The IRS allows for a hardship withdrawal for an immediate and heavy financial need. Things like medical care, tuition, and preventing an eviction, for example. Just this past December, Congress got rid of the requirement that people submit proof of hardship before withdrawing the funds. Angela says taking money out of your 401k is something you really want to avoid, 
not just because of the taxes and penalties, but because you'll be losing out on growth. Instead, she recommends that when you do have the money, you might want to start an emergency fund in a high-yield savings account. According to the bank account comparison site, depositaccounts.com, those accounts are currently averaging annual percentage yields of 3.3%. That's up from less than 0.5% last year. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money, and you can automate it with your paycheck to just take a little bit of money, maybe $10, maybe $20, maybe $100 if you're feeling flush. But that money goes into an account that has some interest. You know, you might get 4% a year in some of these online accounts. You can get some decent interest and it's also liquid. So you can get your hands on it anytime you want, unlike a 401k. You can get your hands on your 401k, but you really shouldn't. So start doing that as soon as you can. It seems like nothing and it seems like it won't be enough, but it can help you have a little cushion. There are statistics we hear all the time that a stunning percentage of Americans would be thrown off course financially with an emergency like a car repair. And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be, people should not be living so close to the edge. And I think part of it is that housing is so expensive. We've got student loans, inflation, a lot of things that are of no one's fault. You know, it's not the saver's fault because it's very hard to save and it's hard to have enough for everything. So if you can, again, start and just do a low pain emergency savings account, that's a good thing. Coming up, times are tough, but there are also new developments to cheer in the personal finance space. That's after the break. This podcast is brought to you by Northern Trust Wealth Management. There's more to being a successful entrepreneur than just good business practices. What is it about an entrepreneur's childhood that helped fuel their entrepreneurial spirit? What are entrepreneurs doing to cultivate this spirit in their own children and build a legacy beyond their business? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with leading entrepreneurs on these topics and more. Find the Road to Why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. Welcome back to the best new ideas in money. Before the break, we talked about how inflation and layoffs are hitting Americans' personal finances. It's a time of high financial anxiety for a lot of Americans, and a lot of the media coverage we see focuses on the bad. But we also found ourselves wondering, has there been any good news in the personal finance space? 2022 was a tough year for folks financially because of really high inflation. But despite all of that gloom and doom, there have been a few bright spots in terms of some small things that have been happening that actually are positive developments for people's finances. That's Leslie Albrecht again, our deputy editor of personal finance at MarketWatch. 
She says that one area that tends to impact people's day-to-day -day lives financially is student loan debt. That's been a hotly debated topic, and its future is now tied up in the courts. President Joe Biden today announced that his administration will extend the pause on federal student loan payments while the White House fights a legal battle to save his plan to cancel portions of the debt. Even though the broader student loan debt cancellation did not go through, the administration did cancel a lot of other student debt. And a lot of borrowers who were former students who were defrauded by their colleges, they had $6 billion in debt canceled. And then the Biden administration also moved to cancel about $24 billion in debt for borrowers in the public service loan forgiveness program. So those are smaller moves that have made a difference for people. And it's not the only policy shift that's taking the toll of student debt into account. At the very end of last year, Congress passed the bipartisan SECURE 2.0 Act. It's a follow-up to the SECURE Act of 2019. SECURE, by the way, stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement, which is a pretty good explanation of what both the original and SECURE 2.0 are trying to do. The law is a sweeping round of changes that try to help bolster retirement for Americans. There's a lot of things that are really going to impact people's lives in here. But a big headline thing that people are talking about is how it's going to impact student loans. That's MarketWatch's retirement editor, Angela Moore, again. Now you'd say, why would this impact student loans? It's about retirement. But one of the reasons that young people have a hard time saving for retirement is when they are starting out in their careers, they don't have a lot of money. They're not making a lot. And student loans are a real obstacle for saving money. For them to think, okay, I've got a job, I've got rent, I've got to pay all these things that you have to pay. You've got your student loans there too. In your mind, you're like, I know I should be putting money into my retirement account, but who could afford that? And retirement is like 40 years away. I will think of that another day. The problem with that line of thinking is it means young workers are often getting a late start to saving for retirement and missing out on one especially important feature, according to Angela. The beauty of being young, there are many things beautiful about being young. One of them is you have such a long runway to retirement. And by starting to save now, you can really enjoy the magic of compounding, which is kind of a buzzword we use in the retirement world. But what it means is that your money just keeps building on each other. Investment gains build on investment gains or dividend reinvestment, and it all grows. And so by the time you are ready to retire, this tiny bit of money, this little match that your employer made for you is the seed and it just continues to grow. Now, I wouldn't say that you should just do that and nothing else for the rest of your career. That would be foolish, but it really gets you started. It turns you into a saver and it turns you into a person who has a 401k that's being contributed to and it really gets you on the road. And when it's time to retire, you're going to be in much better shape because you started early. Starting early is so key. You don't have to even have great luck investing if you start early. But it can be hard to start early if you're worried about your monthly student loan payments. The SECURE 2.0 Act aims to help with that. Let's say I put money towards my student loans and not any in my retirement account. However, if I did put that money in my retirement account, my employer would have matched it. 
Many employers offer a company match. Often it's 6% or thereabouts. So I put my money towards my student loans. My employer pretends that I put that money in my retirement account and puts the match that they would have given. They put that in my retirement account. So you may still not be able to contribute to your 401k, but you're still harnessing the power of the employer match. Companies would need to adjust their existing retirement benefits plans to adopt the new match system. But it's not hard to imagine it becoming something employers offer to stay competitive. Is it going to change the world? No, but as we always say, putting a little bit of money away is better than putting no money away. And I think that gets people into the habit of saving and it makes people feel less conflicted about where to put their cash when they are trying to do some lifelong financial planning. The Secure 2.0 Act also aims to expand access to 401ks. The fact is, to have a 401k is such a privilege because a lot of people don't have access to that. Actually, one of the things that is another wonderful part of the Secure 2.0 Act is that retirement accounts will be offered to part-time workers. A lot of part-time workers don't have access to an easy way to save for retirement. Another type of outstanding financial obligation that often hurts Americans, medical debt. Here's Leslie Albrecht again. Medical debt is something that one in five households in the U.S. struggle with. And a lot of times, you know, it's a debt that people do not take on by choice. It's something that happens in an emergency. Last year, there were two key developments in regards to medical debt. The No Surprises Act means surprise medical bills for thousands of dollars are hopefully a thing of the past. It's now illegal to get a bill from a doctor you did not choose and who did not accept your insurance. Surprise medical bills happen when people receive care outside their insurance plan, often unknowingly. The U.S. Public Interest Research Group has called surprise medical bills an egregious billing practice that has grown in breadth and frequency. In February 2020, researchers found that one in five people undergoing elective surgery wound up with this type of bill. The average cost, $2,011. This is something that actually was outlawed during the Trump administration, and then the law went into effect in January of 2022. And these are bills that can really have a negative impact on people's financial stability, and they can come out of nowhere. There was also a big change about the way medical debt is listed on credit reports. The three major credit reporting bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, basically they dropped fully paid medical debts from credit reports. And that is going to give people, it's going to help people improve their credit scores, which, you know, has far reaching implications for the rest of your life. Some people say there's nothing more expensive than bad credit. And if you can do anything to improve your credit score, it's really going to help open up doors for you financially when you need to do things like get a mortgage or take out a car loan. Having a better credit score is going to help you. Beyond the Secure 2.0 Act, last year saw other policy changes that have the potential to make a difference in the everyday lives of many Americans. A lot of banks have been eliminating their overdraft fees. This started happening when the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau basically said that they were going to crack down on these fees. And so banks kind of decided that they would do it first before the government 
came after them. And so, for example, Bank of America reduced its insufficient funds fee from $35 to $10. Leslie says that next, the Biden administration will turn its attention to credit card late fees. Last June, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau opened a formal rulemaking process that could bring new regulations and limits to late fees. According to the CFPB, those fees cost Americans an estimated $12 billion a year. Some of these fees are like $30 or $10. And, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it really can be a real financial vicious cycle for people who get charged these fees and then they're charged these fees for just a small amount of money and they end up in a cycle where they're building up a lot of overdraft fees and it's not good. So that's also helpful for people. Minimum wage is another area where we've seen government action recently. There has been some federal effort to try to increase the minimum wage, which is at $7.25 an hour and hasn't increased since 2009. And while so far change hasn't come on the federal level, a lot of states are deciding to just do it on their own. By the end of 2022, there were 49 jurisdictions, two states and 47 cities, where there would be a $15 minimum wage for some or all employers. So that's a trend that's been happening that will make a difference for lower wage workers. When it comes to Americans' finances, these moves won't wipe away a potential recession or the prospect of layoffs. But as Leslie points out, all of the smaller changes add up to something more. Taken together, this kind of financial relief can really make a difference for people and give them a little more breathing room. We're still in a financial moment where a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck and they are looking for ways to avoid incurring extra costs, avoid going into debt. And so any kind of relief that comes in the form of, you know, smaller credit card fees or getting some of their medical debt erased, those things add up and they make a real difference for people financially. Thanks for listening to the best new ideas in money. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating or review. And if you have ideas for future episodes, drop us a line at bestnewideasinmoney at marketwatch.com. Thanks to Leslie Albrecht and Angela Moore. To learn more about new ideas in personal finance, head to marketwatch.com. I'm Stephanie Kelton. And I'm Charles Passy. The Best New Ideas in Money is a podcast from MarketWatch. The producers are Michael McDowell, Meta Lutzhoff, and Katie Ferguson, who also mixed this episode. Melissa Haggerty is the executive producer. Stephen Kutz was our newsroom editor on this episode. The Best New Ideas in Money theme was composed by Sam Retzer. Stephanie Kelton is an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University and not part of the MarketWatch newsroom. We'll be back next week with another new idea. 